You are listening to a Hillbilly Horror Stories classic episode. Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. Now welcome your host, Jenny Polly, and his lovely wife, Tracy. I hear it's in a lovely ghoul. <laughs> Alright everybody, welcome to episode 19 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I am excited tonight because a couple of different things, but we'll start off with the first. I am joined by two lovely co-hosts, the mother and daughter team of Tracy Polly and Kristen Peluso. Say hi ladies. What up peeps? What up yo? I'd imagine it's going to be pretty hard for most of you to tell the voices apart as it is for anybody on the phone, including myself. So, uh, but, but it, we thought it'd be fun. Uh, Kristen is rarely home during the time when we do these and she's actually home and, uh, had the time to be able to do it. So we thought it'd be cool if she joined in since she's a, a loyal listener. It'd be cool for her to actually be a part of the podcast for one night. I'm trying to get my come up. Yeah. She's trying to get her come up. I want to be a celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to do, since we talked about uh, basically shout-outs, let me do a couple of quick shout-outs before we get going. We have a long show ahead of us. Uh, we're going to talk about the Lutz family tonight, the Amityville Horror. Of course, we talked about the DeFeo family last week. We got a lot of good response on it. As a matter of fact, it was our most listened-to show besides the Bobby Mackey show that we did in Episode 6. So it's been a long time before we've gotten this kind of a response. Part of that is because you guys are awesome. Another part of that is... Uh, Diane and Denise from History Goes Bump, which is another podcast I advise you guys to check out. They've been doing this forever. Uh, Denise is actually a, an award-winning podcaster for some work she did on a different podcast before that, but they've been doing this a couple of years. But on episode 170, a couple of days ago, they actually mentioned our show, Hillbilly Horror Stories. Yes, that was totally awesome. Thank you guys for doing that so much. And they advised their listeners to come listen, and guess what? Their loyal listeners did that. So I'm going to shoot it back to them and say, hey, if you guys get a chance to listen to History Goes Bump, it's completely different than our type of show. It is a paranormal show. They talk about hauntings, and uh, they pick a place. Listeners will call, will call in and say, hey, go check out this haunted gas station or a hotel or what have you. They'll go there and do that, but then they always have a couple of other segments, like some odd news and what have you that they do every show. It's really entertaining, so give them a listen if you get a chance. The other thing we're going to talk about is at the end of this story, stay tuned because I have about a 20-minute interview that I got to do with Tony and Jenny Bruski uh, the other day. Of course, they're going to have me on their show, which is Real Ghost Stories Online, the show that made me actually start this one, and you'll hear all that in the uh, interview I've been turned on that show for, for several months and used to binge listen to it as I drove two and a half hours back and forth to uh, Ohio. And I've actually fell in love with the show. And these guys, they're, they're just, they're kind of like us in the fact that they just say whatever's on their mind and they really kind of come across as a um, home, home team, kind of to speak, you know. So they're down to, down to earth people. We really appreciate them giving us a chance to be on their show. But I got a chance to talk to Tony, interview him. And we're going to put that on the end. Why is that important? First and foremost, the very first episode I ever listened to Real Story, Ghost Stories Online was Tony interviewing some people that were really close to the Amityville situation. And um, that's what got me stuck on it. So I thought if we're going to do an Amityville horror story, I wanted to get his opinions on some stuff. So I think you'll be interested in what he had to say. So let's go ahead and start with these shout-outs that I started about 37 minutes ago. <laughs> but the first one we're going to do is a gentleman by the name of Donald Dixon. He lives in Louisville, Kentucky. What up, Don? Amy. Amy. I said Amy. I guess that's pretty bad. You can't screw up a name like Amy. How am I going to react when we get to these ones from India and Yugoslavia? But Amy Hebert McNeil. Uh, she's in Louisville, Kentucky. Carolyn actually wrote, took some time to write us today. We appreciate it. She lives in Tampa, Florida. I told her I'd give her a shout-out. We also have... I'm going to try this one. I believe it's Amber Wright. I'm just oh, kidding. really? <laughs> <laughs> but it's Amber Wright, and she's actually, she's from Australia. We appreciate Ooh, you listening uh, down under. Good day, mate. Good day, mate. No. How, how was that? Was that good? Throw a little shrimp on the bobby. Good day, mate. No. That is no. horrible. All right, sorry. Well, thank you for listening a anyway. For the thing about Tracy's uh, accents is every one of them sound the same, whether it's Yugoslavia <laughs> or Indian <laughs> or Navajo. It all sounds exactly the same. Dang, sorry. The other one, I'm sure I will screw up because they're from India, and I always screw these up. I don't know why we have so many listeners in India, but every week I find two or three more. And I always pick the easiest name to try to pronounce. Do you have internet there? 
Yeah, yeah. They, they have internet there. <laughs> but thanks for putting down a whole country that sends us some of our no, best search No, thank surgeons. you guys so much. <laughs> I appreciate it. They only produce some of the best Can surgeons in that? the world. So, <laughs> so Depale. Rav Try. Yeah, we'll say that. R-A-U-T-R-A-I from India. Sorry if I butchered your name. Thank you so much for listening. Rotari. Yeah, roll to the ride. Thank you for listening. That's incredible. So let's jump right into the story. Uh, I'm not going to do a whole lot of of uh, rehashing what we talked about last week. If you missed last week's episode, I urge you to go back and listen to that because it's completely different than this one. We did talk about the DeFeos, and we're going to start off where they left off. So, of course, Ronnie DeFeo killed six members of his family. He went to jail, and the house subsequently uh, was foreclosed on uh, by the bank and put up for sale. Now, you're not going to believe this because this house was extremely large. It was in a, in a prime neighborhood. The house was deeply discounted to the price of about $80,000. Houses, that house, had the murders not happened, would have probably been about a $150,000 house at the time. You didn't pay me to live in that house. Well, no. So what happened was George and Kathy Lutz and their three kids, they talked about the situation. They looked at it. They, they knew they could never afford a house that this, you know, unless it came at this price. And how in the world could they ever get a house this nice for that price? It was almost too good to be true. They were told about the situation. So it's not, nobody pulled the, you know, the wool over their eyes. The family discussed the events and, and, um, they said, Hey, you know, I think we're okay with that. So, uh, George and Kathy, along with Daniel, Christopher, and Missy move into the house. Now, they claim that all this stuff started within the first hour. The first hour? The first hour. They had a dog. They said the dog tried to hang himself. That's, well, how does a dog, how the hell does that well, happen? There's a fence, and the dog jumped over the fence while he was tied up, and he was kind of left hanging in midair. And they said it was almost like he was trying to get away to the point to where he jumped over a fence. No. And then uh, George had a friend that knew the history of the house, obviously, so he suggested that they get a priest to come out and bless the house. So a priest comes out that same day. Mm-hmm. He comes out about the same time they move in, you know, time-wise. He walks in, and he went to upstairs to one of the rooms, and he said, look, all I'm going to tell you is please don't use that room as a bedroom. He said he felt um, spirits in it. He heard something tell him, a voice to say, get out. In just that room. In just that room. That's the room that he felt uh, the pressure. Now, you'll know in the movie the version that he went upstairs and he was attacked, kind of swarmed by flies and all that. Mm-hmm. That did not happen in real life. He did hear the voice that said, get out, like in the movie, and he felt really uneasy. Now, George said that within a few days of moving in, that he started waking up at 3.15 in the morning. And if you listen to the first show, 3.15, it's kind of important because that's when supposedly Ronald DeFeo killed his family. According to their timeline, they judged the death to be about 3.15. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if George knew that part of the, of the story with the fails. I know he killed him. I don't know if he knew time or any of that. But he claims he started waking up at 3.15, and he had a, like a weird uh, urge to go check the boathouse. So he would get up at 3.15 in the morning and go check the boathouse. That's scary. They started talking about um, the things that they would experience in the house. They would have just cold spots all over the house, including the boathouse, no matter how hot it was outside. They would always feel like there was a presence. They could hear whispers. And then they started discussing about just terribly disgusting odors in the air. Like in the house or just outside or where? Well, like in the house. Did they have Febreze back then? Probably not. (laughs) Probably not. And I mean, I don't know what would cause somebody to just flee a house over disgusting smells. I mean, I get that every time Tracy leaves the bathroom. I've never, I've never, you know, purposely fled the house for it. That is not true. <laughs> All these listeners out here, that is Santa, a false statement. Santa is watching you, and he knows you're lying. Yep. Now, George started going through a lot of changes. All the family members started going through changes in attitude. The kids all started fighting with each other. Uh, George started going through, like, periods where he wouldn't bathe, so hygiene became a problem. His temper got out of control. He would yell and snap at the kids and at, at Kathy, which he had never done before. Mm-hmm. He also got really sick and lost a lot of weight. Uh, and, and keep in mind, they were only in the house for 28 days. So all this, you know, this losing weight and getting sick, and all this was like in a 28-day period. Uh, not to mention the fact he was cold all the time, so he was always out chopping wood and, to put in the fireplace, and constantly so, he was obsessed with it. So that's the secret to weight loss. Yeah, just moving to a haunted house. Okay, noted. 
Maybe I can <laughs> maybe I can get you hooked up at my dad's house for a couple of weeks and you'll be good to go. Okay. Now Kathy, she would feel stuff too, like she would feel the presence of another woman. No matter what room she was in, she'd feel like somebody's watching her. She'd feel like there was a woman there in the house. And it, like I said, it didn't matter if she which room of the house she was constantly feeling at. Now the family claims and I say claims because of something we'll get into later, that the family also noticed swarms of flies throughout certain rooms of the house. And coming from where the movie said, you know, that it, it happened and showed it in the movie, you know, when the priest came in there. But it, a little later in the story, you'll hear why I have some, maybe some uh, doubt in the, in the story and the discrepancies that we'll get into. Mm-hmm. The youngest child, was the daughter, was missing. And she started talking to an imaginary friend named Jody. The odd thing was Jody is a pig with red eyes. And I don't mean just some fat kid. I mean, it was actually a pig. Yeah. Now, wait. Who was talking to the pig? Missy, which is the youngest daughter. Okay. This ain't Gordy. No. No. This ain't no Charlotte's Web. Is that where Gordy's from? No. Gordy's its own movie. That's got Doug Stone in it. Oh, well, what's the pig from Charlotte's Web? That's... What's that pig's name? There's a Babe. Which one's Babe? I thought Babe was a different I don't know. Movie. I've never seen too many damn talking babe, pigs There's in a life. movie called Babe with a pig. It wasn't all Wait, okay, so there's Charlotte? Charlotte? There's Babe. Charlotte's the spider. Yeah. Charlotte's oh, red. Duh. What about Arnold Ziffel? I don't even know who that <laughs> That's is. That's Green Acres. <laughs> well. That, I'm, I'm 29. That's way before my All right. Day. We're getting off track here. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> we still haven't figured it out. Okay. So she's talking to a pig with red eyes. She's talking to a pig with red eyes named Jody. Well, I know something funny. Look, and... Somebody in later life said that when the when the, the DeFales lived there, that there used to be a cat that was really fat that would climb up to the window, mm-hmm. and it had red eyes, and the guy called it Pig. So oh. that's, who knows where that discrepancy uh, came in at, but I know that one of the neighbors mm-hmm. actually said that that was a cat that actually used to come up all the time, and they called it Pig because it was so big and it had red eyes. At least looking through the window, it looked that way. So maybe that's what she was seeing. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Uh the family claimed that they heard screams at nighttime, footsteps. They would have stains that would randomly appear on the carpet, then just disappear. The toilets would turn completely black, including the porcelain. Once oh again, gosh, something that. I've something I've been known to do myself. But well, that's true. Mm-hmm. And that, folks, that is a true statement. <laughs> that's enough bathroom humor. For real. <laughs> January fourteenth, nineteen seventy-six. Early in the morning, the the family fled the house. Twenty-eight days into it, like we said. Um, even up to until until the later times in their life, they refused to talk about what happened that particular night. They just left, and when they left, they left everything. Um, he they went decided to move in with Kathy's mom, mm-hmm. which they did. George then took some steps to get the house investigated. He hired a guy named Kaplan, who was supposed to be a, a parapsychologist, but George said he later found out that he was more like a vampireologist. He just was up on vampires, not really what they were looking at. Mm, so not much help, mm-hmm. right? So at this point in time, you know, Kaplan told George, he said, look, this is, we're a public service. We're going to do this thing, and it's not going to cost you a penny. We're going to do it 100% for free. But we're also going to report exactly what happens. If we find something, we're going to say it. If we don't find anything, we're going to say we didn't find anything. And if it's a hoax or we feel like it's a hoax, we're going to come out and say that it's a hoax. Mm-hmm. Three days later, George called him up, and, and uh, Kaplan, and he's. He was pissed off because I guess Kaplan in a newspaper had made mention that they were going to investigate the house. That was it. So he calls him and said, look, we told you guys we don't want any attention called to us. No publicity whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So he pulls. He said, we don't have to do an investigation, you know, a couple of weeks down the road or something when nobody knows about it. Well, at first it was like, damn, you know. But then they found out later that night that that morning, because when he called the guy, it was nighttime. That morning they had done a, a press conference. Already telling everybody about it. So he's like, well, why, why are you getting so, rid of me when yeah. you've already, you're already telling, you don't want any publicity, but yet you had a press conference this morning, mm-hmm. you know, and told everybody what was going on. What's the, uh, yeah, what was the big deal that he did that? Well, I think what the big deal was, this is really where it all comes about. And, and if you listen to last week's show, you'll know what we're talking about here. But the press conference was actually set up by William Weber, which is the defense attorney for, um, Ronnie DeFeo. Oh. So if you go if you go back to last show to rehash that just a little bit, Ronnie DeFeo had an attorney that actually was helping him out, and it was this William Weber guy. Mm-hmm. Well, oddly enough, this this Paul Hoffman, who was a freelance writer, he came to, to Mr. Weber and said, hey, the Lutzes want to meet with you. So this is how all this got going. And Mr. Weber, he had said that 
it's funny that he came back because he actually wanted to meet with the Lutzes. So it was kind of like it was a match. And why would he want to meet with the Lutzes? Just by coincidence, he had an oral commitment for an advance on a book and a movie. Now, this ah. this book and a movie was based primarily on the DeFeo situation. Mm-hmm. But Weber had it in his mind that now that he had already heard some of the stuff that was going on, that maybe they could hook this together and make it into some type of a blockbuster. All about the Benjis. Right. That's exactly what it was. So the Lutzes claimed that, that they had no intention of meeting with him for about a book purpose. They kind of thought that it was going to be like a therapy for Ronnie to be able to say, hey, these people have experienced stuff too. You said you experienced stuff. Now we got somebody else and maybe it would help his defense. And that's what they said they were led to believe. But when they went and had the meeting, all this was brought to them about, you know, the book and all that stuff. So Weber said they met from 10 o'clock at night to 3 a.m. in the morning. They went through several bottles of wine. How many he couldn't even say because there were so many. And he shared a lot of facts with them. He he told them uh, some of the stuff that happened in the house. He showed them crime scene photos. And in some of the crime scene photos is where you'll start to see things in the book that become discrepancies. Um, for example, Weber showed them a picture, and it, it still had the black and green uh, fingerprint powder still on the doors and all that. Mm-hmm. You mean from where the cops were there? Right, from DeFeo. This was, this was, so, oh. so they dusted for fingerprints, and mm-hmm. they used like this greenish, mm-hmm. uh, I guess kind of a greenish-black powder. And you could see the prints all over the door. And he said that, the, that when he said that the Lutzes looked at her like, yeah, that's that's like the green slime we got coming out of the walls. But that's not what it was. But in his opinion, that's kind of what they were going to use for their book. Mm-hmm. And this is, these are the kind of things why people kind of doubt what really happened in the house. Did something happen? Did anything happen? Did you make the whole thing up? Yeah. He, he had showed them a picture with dead flies in one of the rooms, which, you know, when you've got a dead body and blood everywhere... You're going to get flies. You're probably going to get flies. And then by the time these pictures were taken, I mean, who knows what the situation was. But it wouldn't be totally out of the question to be able to see that. Now, he says he they used a lot of these pictures and, and um, stuff that he shared about the scene to implement in their book and kind of just say, hey, now all of a sudden we got flies on the priest and all that stuff, which before it was just flies in the room. Mm-hmm. Well, I was going to say, I thought that was something different before. Right. That's what I was saying they once they got his information, they started implementing that. So when the priest came originally, he just went up to the room and it said get out. And then all of a sudden, it turned into by the time the book came out, it turned into all oh, there was flies all around him and all that. So they were using this knowledge to increase the book. And what it's all going to come down to is this guy's pissed, as you're going to find out, and that's why he's spilling the beans because they ended up not going with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, it all sounded good, but. Like a, a reporter got called in. She she wanted to help out because they just kind of lost contact with Mr. Weber. The Lutzes just kind of just cut the cord, didn't talk to him anymore. I think uh, what it was is after they were, while they were drunk, they were, all this stuff sounded great. They recorded all this stuff. And then after the fact, they just kind of felt like maybe something wasn't on the up and up. Maybe it's not right to do it this way. Who knows? But a lady reporter... Uh, by the name of Laura uh, Didio out of uh, Long Island, Channel 5, she decided she wanted to have uh, try to help them out. So she reached out up to them because, they, like I said, they kind of disappeared off the face of the earth for a while. She reached out to them and said, hey, we want to get a bunch of investigators. Let's go out to the house and let's find out what the real story is. And um, he said, good. He played her some tapes uh, from this Mr. Weber, their mm-hmm. conversations. Mm-hmm. And he even prefaced it by saying, look, uh, I'm not proud of this. So there was definitely some stuff in those tapes that showed they were kind of masterminding or playing, at least playing with the facts of what really happened and embellishing a little bit. Yeah. Now, they, they go ahead and decide to, to help. Uh, so this reporter calls in some of the best parapsychologists in, including a name that everybody will recognize, Ed and Lorraine Warren. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, I know them. Of course, Ed and Lorraine. Little old Lorraine. Yeah, Ed and Lorraine obviously are famous. If you went and seen The Conjuring, they were the couple that was in that. Uh, Conjuring Annabelle. 2, they're in that. Annabelle. They're the, they're the people that was behind all this. This is the story that made them famous. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Oh, they were also part of um, uh, what's the one over in Enfield, England? That was a Conjuring too. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they were they were big on all those, but this is the one that got them kicked off back in 1976. It's the one that kind of kicked off their careers being experts. So they they all agreed to meet out at the house. George stepped foot in front of the house, but he refused to step on the property. He was so completely scared still that he would not step on the property. So Lorraine said that it was obvious when she walks in that it was obvious that the house was so infested by by more spirits than just a DeFeo family. That just she, there was just a, a feeling that came over. Mm-hmm. So the other parapsychologists and stuff were in there, and the young lady Laura uh, Didio, she's the one that spearheaded all this. But she said she personally didn't experience anything, uh, but she did see a lot of people around her experience stuff. Oh, so, so she, I'm sorry, is she not a... No, she's, she doesn't have any ability. She's just a reporter. But she saw everybody else. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Right, for example, there was a cameraman named Steve. He went upstairs. And this was almost immediately after they got to the house. He went upstairs. to the, As soon as he got to the landing of the second floor, he bent over uh, with sharp pains in his chest. And he just said it was excruciating and he didn't know what. He didn't have any kind of heart problems or nothing. That just happened. As he got to the top level. Poor Steve. Yeah. <laughs> Lorraine Warren said that the overall impression of the house was sad. Now, there was a psychic by the name of Mary Downing. Uh, that she said that she had the feeling of a teenager who had made a huge mistake. Uh, so, I guess that's kind of close because Ronnie was 23. wasn't really a teenager. But then again, remember, there was talk that it could be the sister who was 18. Mm-hmm. Was she so, preggers? No, no, she was not. No. But they were having an affair. It was supposedly mm-hmm. it was an incest deal between him and his Ew. sister. And yeah. yeah, it was it was uh, very well talked about in the seventies. You can imagine how that was Ugh, uh, that's a horrible. big thing. So now Mary Downey also said that when she was outside, she looked up at a window above her and she could see a little girl. Uh, and then she started hearing crying, and she told the little girl to look at the light, walk towards the light, and that everybody she loved would be there waiting for her. That's so sad. So Lorraine did a seance, and she said that in the seance she could tell that there were spirits that were there from the bowels of the the depths of hell. The bowels? The bowels. That's That's where poop poop. is. Yeah. And oh, she, that's a, she said that that's it was really a, shitty. She said these people were a, a lot. These souls were a lot darker than the family of the DeFeo. So there was a lot more going on there. Uh, which, like I said, if you go back to DeFeo, he says that he heard voices. He said that a demon was, you know, actually handed him the gun. So who knows what's true, what's not? That freaks me out. Now the the psychic Mary Downing said that during the seance that she she felt and could see in her head hooded figures, kind of like monks, lurking around outside the door and just kind of looking in. It's kind of scary. Oh, my God. I would freak the hell out. I mean, it could have been like a Def Leppard video or something because, you know, like in the bringing, I mean, what was it, uh, Rock of Ages, they mm-hmm. were all in the... So it's sort of like with Aleister Crowley, the figures yeah. kind of gathering around. Yeah, the only difference was that she, she could see and feel them because of the fact that she was a psychic or... Probably nobody else could see them. Could you imagine having that ability? It's like, it's it sounds cool, but to, like, live your life seeing all this scary shit all the time, like, I, I couldn't sleep at night. I would not want anything to do with that. No, I wouldn't either. There was at one point where Lorraine Warren walked into a room upstairs, and uh, one of the people just, because she stopped and just had a look, and he's like, what's wrong? And she says, I just hope this is as close to hell as I ever get. <gasps> so then it... At one point, you know, they're like sprinkling holy water and stuff. And as they're sprinkling holy water, it's like, as, it would, as soon as it would hit something, it was like that uh, water on a hot stove. It would just, like just do that. Yeah. Sizzle, bubble. Yeah, it would just kind of do that sound as soon as it hits. And then after the seance, Ed was leading Lorraine through that house with a crucifix. So he's walking through. And at one point, it's just like he just got knocked back like a, a huge gust of wind or something mm-hmm. just blew him back. And he explained it. That it was like a legion of demons holding him back. Uh, Lorraine, Lorraine explained it as it was like um, you were in the ocean and you had a wave pushing against you as you're trying to lean forward. Just pushing you back. So I know that. what that's like. Shoot, that's that. We got short legs. Yeah. We never can get back up. Yeah, we would never. We no, would that's be. horrible. <laughs> It'd be over for us. That's, that's for sure. sure. So at 2 p.m., 
Morgan Scott, uh, he turned to one of the reporter and, you know, and he just said, hey, we don't have it. Meaning that there really wasn't anything spectacular in their filming to use on TV. And the funny thing about it was the next morning they did find something, but it wasn't on the video. They had a camera set up upstairs and it was just taking flash shots like every couple minutes. Not really like a time lapse to where it's like constantly. Mm -hmm. It was every couple minutes a flash, a flash, a flash. They had a pregnant woman that when she would look at one certain picture, the baby inside her would jump. (gasps) And what they found out was in the one picture, there was a banister, and right behind the banister, there was a very clear picture of a little boy. <gasps> really? Right. Good. And the funny thing about it was, they showed the picture to the Lutzes, and they immediately showed it to their daughter, mm-hmm. Missy. And she said, oh yeah, that's the little boy that I used to play with. No hesitation, no confusion. So... The Lutzes, at this point, they never returned to the house. The bank took over the property. All their possessions were sold and auctioned off. So I guess the next obvious thing is, well, what happened to the Lutzes? Mm -hmm. And this is a show that's full of details, so we're going to tell you stuff that nobody else will tell you. I can tell you that the Lutzes then moved to San Diego. Then they moved to Arizona, where they started selling Amway. What's Amway? Amway. Oh, my gosh. That's before your time. That's where you sell stuff like door-to-door. It's like a catalog of stuff. Like vacuums? Well, vacuums are its own or thing. Or like, like Tupperware on Napoleon Dynamite? Think of Dynamite? Finger Hut, but door-to-door. Yeah, like Napoleon Dynamite. Where he's trying yeah. to sell Tupperware. Yeah, it's like Uncle the Rico. Yeah, they had uh, all kinds of different stuff, but it was like they had a catalog. They would mm-hmm. go, people would look at it, and they would order it. It was just like Finger Hut except door-to-door. Oh, okay. Okay, gotcha. They did that. Uh, in the late 80s, they got divorced. Oh, they did? Yep. After all that? And in 2004... Uh, Kathy Lutz died. She was 58, died of emphysema. Uh-huh. In 2006, two years later, George died. He was 59, and it was from heart failure. Dang. It, we, we, we can talk until the cows come home about was the place as bad as it was? Sounds like was it. it or, or was it all made up? Well, what about the kids? What happened to all? I mean, I know they're grown and stuff. Did nobody ever talk to them? Or the, the, Some of the sons are just now recently starting to come out, and they're saying that they a lot of this stuff is true. That's what the kids are saying. You know, but it's taken them 25, 30 years to start coming out. I mean, they're... I mean, you got to think, this is like such a famous story. So once they come out, they're probably going to be bombarded with mm-hmm. media and, and everything else. And, and probably, they probably just don't... I'm going to try to forget it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I will tell you this. After the fact, the people who bought the house, which was Barbara and Jim uh, Cromarty, they actually sued the Lutzes because they said the house wasn't haunted and it caused their life uh, undue fame and attention. So they got tired of people constantly trying to come by and look at their house and causing them problems and hanging outside the house. Because they, they, they're saying that the whole story was made up and now they can't enjoy their life in their house. Well, that's retarded and they should have never... And they knew all that before they bought the house, correct? I mean, regardless, even if it wasn't haunted, a family still died in it. So it obviously has some kind of hype around it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just what you get when you buy a house that has all that history. Yeah, but how many people are going to come by just to see the house because somebody died in it, as opposed to a book that's got a famous book and a famous movie? I mean, that's true, but I mean, who the hell would want to buy a house where six people died in it, anyways? I mean, I just saw I, I saw where the house recently sold. For eight hundred and fifty thousand. That is ridiculous. And this was eighty thousand dollars back ridiculous. in nineteen seventy six. Oh my god! If I saw a ghost, I would shit my pants. <laughs> and I don't run very fast, so I just would. I mean, I walk briskly, but nothing but like a spook shark. <laughs> oh my god! Don't get me started on sharding. <laughs> She said she'd walk briskly. I can't run. My leg. I'm four eleven. For everyone out there, just so you can get an idea. So <laughs> I would run, but it would be like a brisk walk for normal people. All right, we promised you guys uh, an interview, and we're going to do the interview right after we finish here. But I also told you we were going to start a new thing called the joke of the week. Ooh. So um, that's what we're going to do now. So we'll kind of start it off with this. This is actually one of my favorites, and most of these that I'm going to do are from my act. So I'm, I'll occasionally do one from somebody else, but. This one actually goes that uh, I got, you know, I don't like to ever say that I like to get even with people, per se, because vengeance isn't really all that great. But I will tell you that I break, I'm a bad breaker-upper, so like when I split up with my ex-wife, since it was her decision to split up, my way of getting even was I wrote, uh, this is a stick-up on the back of all of her bank deposit tickets. 
So that was, that's something you can do if you've got anybody you're just trying to get even with. <laughs> Cheryl's but, probably like, what the hell? We do want to thank you guys for listening. Uh, this has been a banner week for the show, and we appreciate it. It's only going to get better. January 2nd, uh, I did an interview with Tony Bruschi, who you're getting ready to hear on the interview, for his um, tr- uh, Ghost Stories Online. Man, I'm telling you, it is one of the top shows in the country. It's the top paranormal show that involves strictly in ghost on itunes they have 147,000 subscribers over a million downloads a month and uh that we're really, really it's really going to help the show out when we're on there because all of his listeners are going to hear about the show so we appreciate that so much and uh, for right now we just need to say goodbye until christmas night we will be doing an episode christmas night uh we probably recorded early on uh earlier in the week but it's going to be on krampus and as you know, Krampus is the kind of opposite of Santa Claus. He doesn't bring toys to the good kids like Santa does. He punishes the bad kids, and that's my kind of guy. Krampus, the monster of my uterus every month. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was good. Thank you, guys, and we will see you guys next week. Have a good day. Peace out, Girl Scouts. Love y'all. All right, guys, uh, got a special treat for you today. I know we normally don't do uh, interviews on the show. But uh, sometimes you just get something too good to pass up. And just like Will Ferrell said in uh, Step Brothers, it's not like you're not going to interview the Brewskis when you get the opportunity, right? So that's what we're going to do. I want to welcome these guys. I'm going to fanboy out a little bit, if it's okay. But uh, Tony and Jenny Brewskis are idols of mine. When it comes to the podcast world, especially in the the supernatural, they are the creme de la creme. When it comes to specializing, especially in ghosts, they are the number one podcast out there as far as I'm concerned and as far as you guys are concerned because iTunes tells me that. Um, So please welcome, if you would, Tony and Jenny Bruschi. Thank you, guys. Hello. Thank you for having us. Guys, like I said, I know uh, you probably get tired of, of people gushing on you, but you know, my fans out there of this show uh, will tell you that, you know, I've said before, we wouldn't have a show if it wasn't for you guys. When I stumbled across your guys' show uh, and the style that you've done it in, every it seemed like when I, when I heard anything that was more of a horror or supernatural type broadcast uh, in any form, it was always so serious. And you guys have your times when the story is serious, but in between the banter between you guys is something that really drew me to the show. Uh, I can remember showing my stepdaughter the show and turning her on to it, and it was mainly because you got to know you guys. We got to hear about your kids, you got to hear about trips in the car, you got to hear about oranges with the kids in the back seat, and, and all these different things. And, and to me, that lets you know the host. That lets you feel like it brings you into their household. And that was the biggest draw to me. Is that the intention that you guys had? I, you know, I think so. I mean, really, when we started doing it, uh, we, we didn't have, like, I think, a specific direction in mind other than just being us. Exactly. And and it was really interesting at first because when we started doing the show together, um, you know, I'd start doing jokes and dumb jokes, and, and that continues on to this day. Where every once in a while, I get a random quiche recipe thrown into the mix. Um, but you know, you get a lot of feedback, and we get a lot of like people saying, "Oh, I love this. This is great." Just like you just said. And then somewhere where we, what is going on? Why are we not talking about the technicalities of this ghost box and this and that? And it was just like, because that's not who we are. Um, you know, this is, this is us, you know, we're not super technical. We just, we like the topic like a lot of people do. We get kind of bored with, with the super technical aspect of it, but we still want to talk about ghosts. So really the whole time, I think all we've been doing is just really presenting ourselves and being ourselves. And for some reason, people seem to enjoy it. And we're just as weird when we're not (laughs) on the mic as we are any other time. Yeah. But you know, it seems like that, that's, that's what I would, I would say. You, you guys come across as completely genuine. And that's, I think that's the appeal to the show. Well, thank you. That, that's really kind of what we just try and, and come across as. Now, let me ask you this. You guys, obviously, you've had a, a um, you know, reading the website and what have you. You guys have had uh, an interest in the paranormal for a long time, so you decide to start a show. I don't think there's any big secret there. But walk me through a little bit from, because you guys have been on the air for, what, like five years as far as uh, doing what you do now. And I know it kind of started as a, as a once-in-a-while thing before that. But tell me a little bit about how the show actually started and how it got to the version that it is today. 
started out when I was three years old, and <laughs> actually, if you look way back on it, there's actually somewhat of a truth to that. When, when I was a kid, I was always playing radio station. And uh, one of the first things that I would play radio station was playing radio station as a Ghostbuster. I actually, and I didn't even remember this until my aunt gave me an old cassette tape of me doing this. Um, so I played radio station up until I started working in radio. When I started working in radio, every Halloween I would do a ghost call-in show, similar to what you hear today. And that started when I was 14, so that was around like 1996. Um, and... I love doing that. That was fun. Eventually, you know, years later, YouTube came around and I started putting the audio of that show on YouTube uh, on a yearly basis. I started seeing a lot of people really enjoying that and getting a lot of hits. And then it got to the point where I was about to leave commercial day-to-day -day FM radio and uh, thought, you know, I I'm still going to want to get a fix doing this thing of talking into a microphone <laughs> and uh, uh, decided, well, podcasting is is available now, why don't we try that? So I uh, started doing whatever I could to create kind of a Halloween show um, on more of a regular basis um, than just Halloween, and started doing it like once a week, twice a week, whenever I could, um, and for some reason people started listening, um, and after, I don't know, was it 20, 30 episodes, um, you came in and sat yeah. in on an episode. You got tired of talking to yourself. Yeah, it was kind of awkward because the dog was looking at me, the kids were kind of wondering why does dad go into this room and talk to himself for hours on end, and I thought, well, maybe having another human will make me uh, seem a little bit more normal to my family. So uh, she came in, and we really just enjoyed that and had a good time doing it. And I've had no training. I mean, he's been in radio all his life, and this the first time I sat down with him for my first show was the first time I ever did anything with a mic. So I know he's a lot more fine-tuned than I am, but I think it's easy for us to talk to each other. Yeah, and, and then from there, it, the show just has kind of evolved uh, into what it is today. And, and I think with any show, you're going to have you know evolution in it. I know when you were on my show uh, the other day, we were talking, you were talking about how your show has kind of evolved over the course of its first you know beginning episodes. And it, it always will, hopefully. You know, that you kind of just got to kind of roll with it, and you'll find new ideas and new ways to present things. And that's what makes it fun. That's what makes it exciting. And, you know, what you hear today... Well, I'm sure still be in a, a similar version in the years to come, but there'll always be new and exciting things with it. But that's it's kind of how how it has evolved from a, a three-year-old with a tape recorder to around the world with uh, you know hundreds of thousands of people listening to it. Well, let me ask you this: as as uh, doing this now as a couple, because y'all have been doing this for a while, do you feel like that that's added a different dimension to your relationship? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know if it's added a different dimension to it. I think it's added uh, more depth, if you will. I think, like, we're, we're closer than we uh, have been uh, in the past or prior to doing the show because we're involved in, in another aspect of our life together uh, that, that we weren't in the past. Um, so, you know, I think it actually has brought us, you know, closer together than, than before. Not that we weren't before, but it, it, I think, has added something. I agree. I mean, you find everybody, you know, the husband and wife, they have their separate careers or one stays home with the kids, and, and you find you have a few hours in the evening to catch up on everything. And with our show, you know, it's nice that we're not just talking about the kids in those evening hours, you know. We have a whole... I think it did bring another dimension. We have a whole other level of of us. Now we talk about kids and demons. Kids and right. demons and peach. <laughs> yeah, it, it's really an interesting combination. It's kind of funny because, like I said, when it, your, your show was what inspired me. And by the way, in case I haven't mentioned enough, it's Real Ghost Stories Online. You can find them on YouTube, any podcast catcher. You can catch them on uh, Stitcher and uh, iTunes. Look them up at Google <laughs> Real Ghost Stories Online. Trust me, you'll find several ways to get in touch with these guys. But when I listened to it, I loved the aspect of, of you two doing the show together. And my first instinct of doing our show was, man, this would be really cool if me and my wife could do this. But my wife has never really had the fascination uh, with with the uh, the paranormal, the supernatural. So I kind of felt like, eh, maybe it wouldn't be a good match. And I picked a co-host, and that co-host was, was, I felt like, great. Uh, but he decided that he wanted to kind of move on. 
because it was, this was, you know, it's really time consuming. I don't think most people out there realize how time consuming, uh, that doing a podcast can be if you're, if you're wanting to do it right. And, uh, so my yeah. wife set in on an episode where he, he was actually sick. And a couple episodes later, he decided that, uh, uh, he wanted to go ahead and do some other things, and we brought my wife in permanently, so she's been a part of it for four or five shows, and uh, it's been a great move. I mean, the chemist, the natural chemistry is just there, and when you know, she's, <laughs> I'm a stand-up comedian, and and I've, uh, I always kind of do things, and she always wants to be part of the show. I always call her Lucy because you know she's always like uh, Lucy off the, <laughs> the I Love Lucy show. I want to be part of the show, Ricky, and I always keep telling her no most of the time, but. You know, this time it was a it was a good fit, and if I'd had to do it all over again, I don't know that I would have done it different, but I probably would have started with her. So I agree with everything you guys have said. It has, it's given us something to do together like we've never had before to do together. So yeah, it, it could be a really great thing. Well, let me ask you this: you guys have a show that gives people an outlet. Um, do you feel like that you provide kind of a public service to be able to let people know that, hey, we're not alone in some of the stuff we've seen and, and they'll hear a story that's similar to something they've experienced and it maybe gives them a chance to say, you know what, I'm not a kook. I'm not some kind of an off the ball, oddball. I actually am, have seen something that other people have seen. Do you think this says your show actually helps people when they hear these other stories? Yeah, inadvertently, I think that's what had, had happened with the show. Initially, the thought was just sharing ghost stories and uh, just getting some entertainment out of it. I, I had no idea how it was going to turn into kind of what we ended up calling, what was it? The group therapy for the paranormally affected. Yeah, and, and that was something we kind of joked about at the beginning of the show. Um, but it really kind of has turned into that because it's it's so true there's there's so many people that have had some sort of experience they can't explain and it's not necessarily you know always the easiest thing just to to bring up with with folks that they otherwise would trust with with almost anything they're going to talk about um they they almost need to to be able to get it out to other folks who have had a similar experience who can understand it and can empathize with it and that's really what the show has has become a lot of of just being that outlet and that community for folks who've had uh, have had something happen. And, and it's funny because now you, you see it even on our Facebook page, our listeners interacting back and forth with their experiences and kind of being there for each other. And it's uh, it, it, it's a really cool thing that uh, that just kind of sprung up uh, you know organically through the show. I think it's pretty cool that you guys also, you don't try to come across as experts in the field. You come across as, hey, we really like the subject and we've heard a lot of stuff and this is what we've heard in the past and this is our opinion. But you come across as just regular people with opinions. And I think that makes people more comfortable to come to you with their stories because they don't feel like they're being judged. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think I, I joke a lot. And I, I say I think I'm more confused now than I ever have been. I am too. <laughs> you know, on the topic, because you know, you, you go into it with the certain ideas and thoughts, and then you learn about this and that, and all these different experiences and different ways that this could happen or that could happen, and you end up having more knowledge on the topic as far as you know the what could be's. Uh, you, I think you have a lot less certainty on what is. But I think sometimes having some of those what could be's and having that person that calls in or writes in and shares their experience and feels they're completely alone because they've never heard anything like this before. You know, at least there's a couple people out there who've now heard, you know, several thousand ghost stories who say, Yeah, actually there was something something very similar to this. We had a call from somebody here or a letter and, and it's very close to what you had, so you're not alone in that. And I'm the one who pro- probably forgot all the details. Jenny rem- remembers all of them, but I try to. <laughs> but uh, that's uh, that, that I think is kind of a, a cool thing that that you're not going to really find in many other places. Well, I, th- I think your show is absolutely fascinating, and I would say most of my listeners probably already listened to your show. If not, they definitely probably will after hearing this because. It, you know, I, I, when I first found the show, I was doing you know two and a half hour commutes, um, three or four times a week from Kentucky to Ohio. And I would just listen to the show, several shows a day. And I mean, it just, it, it just seems to never get old. And then I also like the fact that you guys offer, uh, uh, you know, for, for a small monthly donation, you offer extra episodes, which I quickly did because I was one of these people that couldn't get enough of the show. 
And one of the things that I really like about the show, I love the fact that callers call in and tell their own story. I like hearing stories out of the caller's own voice, but I especially love the stories that you read, Tony, because you've got one of those voices. It's, it was obvious that you were in radio before because you've got one of those voices that just really knows how to tell a story. I mean, I could listen to you probably read a cereal box and be on the edge of my seat and I'd be like hushing people, you know, like, shh. You know, did, did you know that Lucky Charms has twice the daily supply of vitamin D? You know, it's just, you just come across that way. And that's, that's, a, that's an awesome compliment. I, I wish I had a voice like that. I got a voice that people probably turn off four minutes into it because I annoy them, or at least some people will. I can almost guarantee. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. It's, it's even more fun when I'm sick because then I either sound like Casey Kasem or the creepy guy from Dateline. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of makes, it, it's harder to read the stories, but it makes them a little creepier. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. This is, this is something that, cause I think some of the show stuff y'all do in the show is kind of, uh, it's like an ongoing theme, uh, on certain things. And sometimes it gets a little bit quirky. Talk to me a little bit about bunk beds throughout the history of the show. <laughs> You said it. I had to ring the bell. Absolutely. Um, I, did, did you hear it? I did hear it. <laughs> okay, good. Um, well, bunk beds that goes um, you know way back, um, all the way back to uh, an unsolved mysteries episode mm-hmm. back in the the eighties, where there was an episode where it was about a home in Horicon, Wisconsin, and they had a bunk bed, and they started having paranormal activity in their home. They got rid of the bunk bed. It seemed to stop. Um, and for whatever reason, that stuck with me. In Horicon, I grew up probably like 20 miles from there, so it, that's probably why it stood out to me. Um, and then in the course of doing this show, I noticed a reoccurring theme, and that theme was... Bunk beds. Yeah, and it just kept happening. And it was always going to be bunk beds in this room, and this stuff happened, and that stuff. And I was like, what the hell's going on with this? You know, why are there so many stories involving bunk beds? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I couldn't, you know, figure it out. And we've only had one uh, incident where there was actually something, like, inscribed on the bunk bed. Remember the details of that? It was uh, it was part of the bunk bed that they wouldn't have seen when they were either laying on the bottom bunk or, or the top bunk. But they were getting rid of the bunk bed, put it out by the curb, and they could see where some symbols had been inscribed and, and these were not symbols you want to see on a piece of your furniture. And they assumed that that was always like that because nobody in their family would have done that and they bought the bed brand new. So they were thinking that it came that way. And then so we started thinking, well, I wonder if there's other beds out there that somebody did something to like that. Yeah. And, you know, with all the hundreds of stories we've had about bunk beds, there's not, it's just not probable that somebody did something to all these beds, but we've still had hundreds of stories of hauntings that involve a bunk bed directly, not just, oh, there happened to be a bunk bed in the house. Like, no, it's like part of the story. I'd say the the second most popular item right behind a Ouija board uh, to have a ghost story attached with it. Why the hell would be a bunk bed? I don't know, Uh, but it seems to be. So that's kind of where the joke came up with, because bunk beds kept coming up so frequently, it was, well, every time we say bunk bed, ring the bunk bed bell. <laughs> and and that's, that's where that came about. Guys, I know y'all got plenty of stuff going on right now. I appreciate your time. I do have one quick question for you. Tony, the very first episode sure. that I listened to was uh, an interview you did with some people really close to the Amityville horror situation. And this interview is actually going to be playing uh, as part of our Amityville horror episode, as it would turn out. I'm not, I don't need a real long drawn out question from you because I know you're short on time, but just in your own thought process from the people you've talked to, do you think the Lutzes actually experienced anything at all at the house or do you think it was more of a money making hoax in your opinion from the people you've talked to? I think, you know, from the people that I've talked to, and this is just my opinion, I think something clearly happened in that house. Exactly what it was, exactly all the details. I think we don't know all, you know, it's very hard to know what they are because there are certain aspects of it, you know, where even some of the kids have come out and said, look, this part, you know, obviously was a bit embellished upon, but the real story is actually much worse than what was even put into that story. Um, 
so there is something there. I, 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 I do think something happened. I don't think it was all part of a, a money-making hoax. I think you have a combination of things where you had uh, some people, you know, and not even necessarily George and Kathy, but I think maybe more so other people that had found a way to profit from this that thought, well, we got kind of a good story here. We can make it this much scarier from what we're aware of. And, and they, they didn't even, I think, look into all of the, the truth or, or, or get the full story to, to really make it as, as spooky as I think it probably could be. If you've seen the, uh, the documentary called My Amityville Horror recently, um, that does a very good job at really giving a whole other perspective on, on the case. Um, and and put some new new pieces into the uh, the ever evolving uh, you know information that is coming out about that. Um, and I think we're going to find out more and more in the coming years as as some of those kids tell their side of the story. So yeah, I think something happened, and I in, in my opinion, I think it's probably worse than any of us even realize. Um, it, rather than the other way where where nothing happened, I think there's there's certainly a lot that's happened there. Well, guys, I, I can't thank you enough. Like I said, it's been an honor for me because you guys are podcast heroes of mine for coming on the show. Tony, Jenny, thank you so much for coming on. You want to take a second and tell the people uh, how they can get a hold of you, how they can listen to the show? Sure. Uh, you can uh, listen to our show, uh, iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, uh, any you know podcast thing you want to go to. Just search Real Ghost Stories online. You can uh, go to our uh, other website, ghostpodcast.com, and that's where you can find uh, our EPP episodes. That's what we call our Extra Podcast People episodes, where everybody gets a bonus episode of the show. There's exclusive video, exclusive audio, all sorts of stuff on there, and that's what really funds our show and keeps it on the air. Um, we do that for just five bucks a month, um, and uh, Real Ghost Stories Online dot com also our website. So lots of ways to find us. Of course, we're all over social media as well. And I highly suggest the EPP. It's five bucks a month. I do it. Uh, I know several people to do it. It's worth every penny of it. Trust me. It turns out to be like fourteen cents a day. You can't beat it. Thanks. Yeah, it's, we try and uh, give you as much value as we can because we love doing this and we want to be able to keep doing it. So, thank you guys so much, and please keep up the good work. We appreciate it. Thank you. You too, Jerry. They would like to thank you folks for kindly dropping in. You're all invited back next week to this locality to have a heaping helping of their hospitality. Hillbilly, that is. Y'all come back now.